Hey, this is Eric, and you're listening to the Story Church Podcast. Our podcast features audio from Sunday mornings at Story Church in Peru, Indiana, a community on the mission of connecting people's story to God's story. If you'd like to connect with us further, check out storyperu.com. Our hope is that today's episode helps you take your next step on your faith journey. Today, we're continuing the series we've been in the past few weeks. I think the video gets cheesier every week, uh, but don't worry, there's one more yet to come. Uh, But we're continuing bumper sticker theology. And the point of this uh, whole series we're in is basically that as Jesus followers, that Christians, especially in America, over the years, uh, we've picked up some language that we tend to use and kind of pass around together. Uh, that's almost like a bumper sticker type of phrase, whether or not it's actually printed on a bumper sticker or not. We have this portable language that we've created to help us remember spiritual truths or maybe even convey spiritual truths to other people. Uh, they have this like sort of wisdom baked into them and, and catchy phrases are great like that. I've said every week, like I try and make things memorable and catchy around here. But what we're trying to do through this series is actually stop and consider the theology behind some of those phrases that we just casually throw out uh, to one another about our faith or within our faith experience. And so we're considering the theology behind some of these memorable little phrases. And I'll give you a quick recap of where we've been the past few weeks. Uh, On week one, we started out by looking at this phrase that God won't give you more than you can handle. And uh, what we realized in week one is that this idea that God won't give you more than you can handle, it's uh, kind of the result of a bad game of telephone we've played with something that the Apostle Paul wrote uh, to a church in the first century that doesn't quite say that, uh, but rather, uh, if you think about it, this idea that God won't give you more than you can handle makes absolutely no sense in the context of the story of God. Because the way that God tends to show up, if you read through scripture, and you see him show up in in the lives of people, more often than not, he gives people more than they can handle, and then they step out and they meet God in the midst of that lack or in the midst of that overwhelmed feeling. And so what we said is the harsh, but maybe powerful, hopefully freeing truth, that in life, sometimes you and sometimes I will face more than we can handle on our own. But the good news is that God will help you handle all that you've been given. That God may give you more than you can handle on your own, but God comes alongside us and he helps us handle everything that we're given in life. And then last week, we talked about the idea that God helps those who help themselves. And this one went even a little farther out of left field because as we discovered, this idea isn't actually found in scripture hardly anywhere at all. Although seven out of 10 Bible-believing Christians believe that it is in the Bible, so that's a little concerning. But rather, this is just kind of like an American ideal or initially a Greek ideal that kind of worked its way into our culture and ultimately into our faith. And so a lot of people think that God helps those who help themselves. And we almost use it sometimes as an excuse to not be compassionate to other people because we think they ought to get their act together. Or maybe we're even harsh to ourselves about it because we think we ought to get our act together. But what we shared last week is the powerful truth that is actually the exact opposite, that God helps those who can't help themselves. That that's actually like Christianity 101, that Jesus stepped in and rescued us from our broken situation when we were powerless to do anything about it. That he moved in our direction, he made a way for us to have a relationship with God. So uh, that's where we've been. Another thing we talked about last week is uh, how kids tend to go through phases in life. And uh, I realized this week that my daughter, Eden, she's four years old, uh, and I realized we're entering into yet another phase. uh, And this is a phase that I would just call the why phase, where everything is why. Like, why do we do that? Why is that happening? Dada, why? Like, mama, why? It's nonstop this week. Uh, I especially noticed it on uh, Friday 
when we had like every type of weather imaginable, right? It was like raining all day and then it snowed and then it was like kind of warm yesterday and that's confusing. But uh, my daughter wanted to go outside and play. We hang out together on Fridays and she was like, hey, Dada, can we go outside and play? And I said, no, right? Like I'm not even letting the dog out right now on this stuff. And she's just going to hold it all day because like I'm not going outside. So it's like, no, we can't go outside. And she says, why? And I said, well, because it's raining. She goes, why is it raining, Dada? I'm like, well, because like water and moisture ends up in the clouds and like the, the starts falling. Well, why does that happen? And I'm like, well, it's a thing called the water cycle. And so we kind of talked about the water cycle and like how, how all that works. And she's like, well, why does it go like that? And I'm like, well, I, I don't know why, right? We've reached the end of my knowledge of the water cycle. And she's like, well, why don't you know? And I'm like, well, because I didn't pay attention in school. And she's like, well, why? And they said, well, because I was distracted. Well, why? I'm like, because I wanted people to like me, okay? And it seemed like other things matter at the time. And I'll spare you for how long this went on, but it was just like this incessant asking of like, why, Dada? Why, Dada? Why? And eventually, like, every parent knows that at some point you just want to go, because, right? Like, just leave me alone. Because I said so. Because of the way that it is. Uh, but there's also this dynamic that the kid never stops and goes, oh, thanks, I get it now, right? It's just always, why, 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 why? And as uh, maybe frustrating as that can be as a parent in this season, this is another phase that I think if we're honest, uh, we don't necessarily grow out of as we grow older. All of us want to understand the reason why things happen in our lives. And we may learn over time uh, how to make it a little more socially acceptable, right? We're not just like peppering people with why, why, why all the time. Uh, but as it relates to our own experience of our life, one of the deeper and most common questions we ask is like, why are the things happening in my life that are currently happening? Why did I end up in this space? How did I get here? And why is life the way that it is? Why did this happen? Why am I experiencing what I'm experiencing. And uh, we're going to talk about that question in a lot of ways today. And uh, just right out of the gate, I want to acknowledge that there's kind of a sacredness to that question. Right? There's, a, there's a sacredness to that desire to have an understanding of the world we live in and to have an understanding of the experiences that we have. And often this is a question as we grow up, right? Eden asks it right now about anything and everything. But as we grow up, often it's a question that shows up in some of life's most difficult moments, in some of most tender moments. We ask why did something happen to me? It's something we ask in some of life's most uncertain moments. Why do things go the way that they go in our lives? And uh, as we said in week one, this danger is gonna like run all its way through our whole conversation today. As we said in week one, an oversimplified answer to a complex situation and a complex faith can be really dangerous. It, it can be, be really damaging and really painful. And that's a huge thing uh, to keep in mind as we move forward together today. Because uh, remember the dynamic that's at play behind our bumper sticker theology, these ideas that we're looking at, is this concept that it's really easy to sound biblical without being biblically sound. In other words, it's really easy to say things that sound true. It's really easy to say things that seem right, but if you actually dig into them and dig under the surface, you can actually discover that they don't quite fit in the story of God or what his character is like or who he called us to be. Many of these sayings that we're looking at have just enough truth in them to sound right, to convince us, to make us think, yeah, that's true. But if you actually dig in and look at how well they actually fit in the larger arc of the story of God, most of these, if you haven't caught on yet, don't actually fit along the way. And so uh, the phrase we're going to look at today, of all the phrases we're covering in this series, this might be the one that I have heard the most in my life, uh, especially from Jesus followers. This is one of the most repeated phrases that I've heard. Uh, and I want to acknowledge out of the gate too that I have a little bit of a chip on my shoulder about this phrase. So I'm going to try and not go too hard at everybody today. Uh, and I promise you will leave unscathed, right? It'll be good. You can grab some eggs still on the way out. I need you. Um, but like the phrase that we're looking at today, it, it's, 
Uh, it uniquely has like, I don't know, it, it irritates me. I think I feel defensive about this phrase for people who maybe it's hurt along the way. But the phrase uh, that we're going to talk about together that shows up often is this idea that everything happens for a reason. I mean, you can almost like feel the groan in the room when I said it. Like we've all probably heard it before. Maybe you've said it before if you're honest. I'm not going to make you do a show of hands or anything like that. Uh, but this is a phrase that gets passed around all the time, especially in some of those tender moments of life, some of those most difficult moments in life. And uh, I'll say this, like, again, trying to tone down my rage a little bit. Uh, I think it's well-intentioned every time people say this. When people say, hey, it's okay, like, Everything happens for a reason. Like, things are going to work out. It's well-intentioned. We want to be hopeful. We want to be comforting to people. We want to be helpful and encouraging. And maybe you've said it before, like, after your friend didn't get the job, they went to the interview and they, they really wanted it, and you're like, hey, it's okay, right? Everything happens for a reason. It's going to work out. Uh, maybe you said it when your teenager got dumped right before senior prom, right? Everything happens for a reason, and the reason is he was no good for you, right? So it's okay. Mom's happy. But uh, if your coworker missed out on the Hamilton tickets for the 247th time, right? You're like, it's okay. Everything happens for a reason. It's okay. Like, we use it sometimes to try and, like, lift a person's spirit or encourage them or help them get through something that they're going through. And I think often, again, like the thing I want to steward really well today is often we say this phrase when we're trying to navigate something painful, when we're trying to navigate through something difficult and unexpected. There are hard things that happen in life. It's kind of back to week one, right? Sometimes you have more than you can handle going on in life, and hard things happen that we can't understand, that we can't explain away. And so this phrase, this idea is something we turn to to try and make sense of unreasonable things. We experience something that seems unreasonable. It seems like it happens out of nowhere. And it gives us a sense of comfort or a sense of hope that if somehow we believe everything happens for a reason, uh, we might actually find some meaning in the midst of what we're experiencing, even if we can't see it yet. And I get that. I mean, I, I totally get, again, that desire for why and for understanding, especially in those difficult moments. That's just a natural response that all of us have. Uh, there's a phenomenal book. It's called Everything Happens for a Reason and Other Lies I've Loved. Uh, it's written by a woman named Kate Bowler. Uh, she's a professor at Duke's Divinity School. Uh, she's actually studied the prosperity gospel movement, if you're familiar with that at all. It's basically the, the movement of people who believe that uh, God's desire is to make us healthy and wealthy, and if you follow him, you'll get a lot, and if you don't, you'll lose a lot. And she basically has spent her whole life uh, trying to debunk that or at least study this movement and where it came from and, and what that's all about. Uh, but the book is essentially a memoir of her experience because when she was in her mid-30s, suddenly and unexpectedly, life looked great. She had a, a baby boy. Uh, she was happily married. Her career was taken off and doing great. And then unexpectedly, she received a diagnosis of stage four colon cancer at 35 years old, I mean, just out of nowhere, turned her life upside down. She started considering her own mortality and just the reality of it. And man, I love this book uh, because it's, it's kind of gritty. It's kind of honest. There's some not like pastor-approved language in there if you really want to read it. Uh, but like, I love that tagline, other lies that I've loved. Everything happens for a reason and other lies that I've loved. Because if you haven't caught on yet, I don't believe that this idea that everything happens for a reason is ultimately true. But man, is it a lie that we love because it comforts us, because it, it gives us a sense that like life should make sense, right? And it gives us something to hold on to. But um, I love the honesty that Kate shares in this book as well, because I think she gave voice to what it feels like for many of us uh, who have gone through something difficult and maybe felt the frustration of a simple answer to a difficult problem. Uh, she writes this in the book. She said, a lot of Christians like to remind me that heaven is my true home, right? Sometimes we say that like, 
Like we can just hope because heaven's my true home. Jesus, they like to remind me that heaven is my true home, which makes me want to ask them if they would like to go home first. <laughs> right? Like if you've ever been on the receiving end of one of those well-intended but ultimately painful statements that people throw out, haven't you felt that before? <laughs> You're like, yeah, well, if you knew what it was like, right? If you knew what it was like to be me. And, and I think if we're honest, this phrase, everything happens for a reason, uh, sometimes we throw it out because we don't know what else to say. Right? We, we throw it out because... Uh, something terrible has happened, something inexplicable has happened, and, and somebody we love or, or maybe even ourselves, we're going through something. And in an effort to try and remove the discomfort, we say something like, hey, you know, everything happens for a reason, right? This is, this is going to resolve somehow, someday. Uh, but often what we're doing is we're trying to resolve our discomfort with someone else's pain. We're trying to resolve the bad feelings it gives us when someone else tells us something unexpected and something negative. And, and again, sometimes it helps, right? Sometimes your friend, they didn't get the job, and you say, hey, everything happens for a reason, and then they get a better job with a better paycheck, and you're like, man, I was right. Like, that, that's great. This really paid off. But what about when somebody experiences a tragic accident, right? Like, what about when somebody receives the devastating diagnosis? What about when somebody you love is a victim of a violent crime. I mean, something just random happens. I was thinking about this because of the uniqueness of my job. Uh, outside of wearing a microphone on Sundays, like, I'm a real pastor too during the week. And what that means is sometimes I'm called into some of these difficult situations, some of these unexpected moments. And, uh, like, I know I take my job seriously and what I do. Uh, but I'm also just like Eric, the person. And I can tell you, like, like, so many times I've been called into these situations and I've felt that reality of, like, I don't know what to say to these people. I can remember uh, my very first pastoral call. I was in my 20s, uh, like just out of college. I was babysitting a friend's daughter with my, uh, I think, fiance at the time. But, uh, and I got this call. I was the pastor like on call, and a guy who was a part of the church that I was a leader in uh, had overdosed on drugs. He was in the hospital, and they didn't know if he was going to make it, and they wanted a pastor there. So here goes, like, not yet shaving Eric out the door with my little, like, college Bible, like, okay. And I can remember sitting in the lobby, like, what do I tell them? I mean, I don't know. I barely knew their story at the time, and, and it's just so difficult to, to understand and to have an answer. I, I've walked with families through crisis in their marriage where it, it's just so broken. It's like, what, what do you say? What, what do you do in the midst of it? Uh, I've officiated funerals of people that I love, and it's just like, in these moments— everything happens for a reason just doesn't really satisfy, does it? Like, let go and let God doesn't quite cut it in those kinds of situations, in those kind of moments. And in fact, it can be downright hurtful. It can be downright offensive to hear that if you're in the midst of a situation like that. Uh, trite answers in the face of true pain often cause more pain. When we just try and throw out the simple one-liner to be like a band-aid on the pain, often it creates the pain of feeling misunderstood. It creates the pain of feeling alone in the midst of what you're going through. And I want to be real tender about this today because in a room of this size, really in a room of any size, right, we all go through things in life. And I want to acknowledge that there may be people here today going through a situation like this, going through a situation where they're asking why and they don't have answers and you don't understand. And first off, I want you to know that you belong here just as you are. You belong here with, with all the questions and all the uncertainty and all the unsettledness and you're seen and you're welcomed in and you're not alone. Uh, but we'll talk about that more in just a moment. Because my hope for today is that we can take like an honest step back from this phrase, this lie that we love, and uh, really honestly assess what we're saying when we say that everything happens for a reason. Because behind that statement, that everything happens for a reason, uh, is an assumption. 
And the thing behind the thing, when we say everything happens for a reason, is often we're saying everything that happens is God's will. Right? Everything that happens is what God wants to happen. That's kind of the assumption that we're making. And even though we don't understand the reason in the moment, we believe that if something happened, God must have his reasons. And in time, we hope that we'll understand those reasons. And this belief that everything that happens is God's will actually has a name. It's this idea called determinism. And a quick, like, simple definition of determinism is the belief that nothing happens without the determination of God or the decision of God, the, the allowance of God, that nothing happens in life without God determining that it should happen. And it kind of makes sense, right? After all, we believe in this all-powerful, almighty God who is the ruler of heaven and earth. And so we have this mindset that like, if God is sovereign, which that's a concept we've heard, right? That means he has to control everything. And if he's controlling everything, then we have to trust that he has good reasons for determining what happens to you and what happens to me. And there's a ton of reasons why this seems like a biblical idea. There's there's a ton of reasons why this sounds biblical. And in fact, it almost sounds like something that Jesus implied uh, as it's recorded in Matthew's gospel uh, when he gathers his followers together and he's actually sending them out to go heal the sick and to go talk about the kingdom of God and and this movement that Jesus has started. And he knows they're going to face opposition when he sends them out. And, And so Jesus says this to his followers. He says, don't be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside of your father's care. See, Jesus is sending these guys out and he's saying to them, hey, don't be afraid of people. Because although they may oppose you, although they may try and harm you, your heavenly father is ultimately more powerful than them. And he reassures them and he says, like, hey, you're more valuable to God than the birds. And yet, he, not even one of them falls to the ground without God's care. And some people have read these words about sparrows and have taken that to mean that nothing happens in the world without God's involvement. That, that he literally is involved in every detail, even to a single bird falling to the ground. That he is involved and he controls every occurrence in the universe. And, and it's kind of this viewpoint we can take where it's like we think God is the big puppet master in the sky, and he's pulling the strings on the world, and as he wants things to go is the way that things go. And so when your computer fails at work and you're stuck at work a little later, it's like God pulled the technology string and just broke the screen or whatever happened. Or, or, or when you're driving to school and your tire blows out, it's like God pulled the blown tire thing. You're like, come on, man, why'd you do that? Right? Like when a Nickelback song comes on the radio, I'm just kidding. God is good and would never do that to you. Um, but you can kind of see the problem with this determinism viewpoint, right? It, it assumes and it blames God for everything. It, it's this mindset where we're like, well, God caused it to happen, that, that God wants it to happen just because it happened. And to say that everything that happens is God's will, it essentially eliminates the role of our personal decision-making, of our personal responsibility for our own actions. If I ran a red light, Sorry, officer, it was God's will. Right? Like, it doesn't really stand up. If I steal from my employer, it's God's will. It makes no sense. Right? There's choices that we make in life. But determinism eliminates personal responsibility, and it makes God responsible for everyone else's actions. And like, to really drive this home, think for a second about what that really means in our world. Think about the countless injustices that happen, not just like in our lives or even in our community, but around the world. Like Every violent crime, every murder, every instance of rape, like every every injustice, we're saying that that's somehow a part of God's plan. 
you have to, this maybe is just my opinion, but for me, you have to suspend your sense of morality and justice and goodness a little too much for me to fully buy into this idea of determinism. You have to like bend goodness to mean something that's not actually good to make God function in this way. And if you think about it, like this is the reason so many people walk away from their faith because they experience something in life that doesn't make sense with this idea of a God who causes everything to happen. They think if God is like that and God causes that kind of injustice, whether it's personally or just something we hear about on the news, like I don't want to be around that because that's not really good. And again, I want to just pause for a second and talk to those of you in the room who maybe you're enduring an unthinkable circumstance, who are going through something difficult. And honestly, if somebody well-intentioned or not, if somebody who's a follower of Jesus has said to you, everything happens for a reason, I want you to know I'm sorry. Like, I'm, I'm sorry. Because I, I think that they were well-intentioned. You probably know that they were well-intentioned at, at some level, but I don't think for a moment that God desired whatever happened to you to happen to you. I don't think for a moment that God wanted what happened to happen to someone you love. Like, I, I don't I don't think for a moment that God's just like pulling the strings on your life and some of those chaotic, uncontrollable things that happen are somehow a part of his will. I believe that God's heart breaks when your heart breaks. That, that God actually draws near to the brokenhearted and I want you to know that he's good and he loves you in, in the midst of whatever you're facing. So am I saying that God has no control and he's just along the ride with all of us? No, not at all. That's another concept that also happens to start with a D uh, called deism. And deism is, uh, it's actually what a lot of our founding fathers of this nation believed. It was this popular concept that God uh, created the world, that he was like the origin of everything. But basically it's like he just spun it up and got it started and then backed away to let it run. That God started the whole thing, that he was involved at the beginning, but now it's kind of up to us and the world just goes on and on. And uh, again, if you're a Jesus follower, on the surface, this idea makes no sense either because the whole story of Jesus is God intervening in human history. It's God putting on flesh and, and meeting us in a moment of need. So it's not determinism, it's not deism, but to understand the truth of how uh, this may work is we have to talk about another word that also starts with a D. And it's the word dominion. And uh, dominion sounds kind of like an intense word, but uh, to understand it, we really have to go all the way back to the beginning. Because in Genesis 1, there's the creation story. And, and if you've been around church for any amount of time, you've probably heard uh, some version of the story where God starts to create the world, and day after day after day, he creates the things that you and I experience, and he steps back, and he calls it good. And at the beginning, God has dominion. He has rule over his creation. He's making things, and it's good, and he steps back, and he makes something else, and he steps back. But then there's this shift that happens, and it's considered like the pinnacle of God's creation. When God creates human beings, here's what the text says. It says, God says, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, and all the wild animals on the earth, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. See, that little phrase, to rule over, is so, so, so important because God creates people to rule over the rest of creation. Like, like he tells them to rule over the fish and the birds and, and all the animals on the land, and he gives them plants and, and food to eat. And uh, this idea, it's called the cultural mandate by like theologians and people who think about these things. It's this mandate or this instruction that God gives to people to share dominion with him 
to share rule with him over this world. In essence, God gives people, he gives humanity this awesome and incredible responsibility to share in his rule over this creation and continue his good order. This is what the psalmist writes about in Psalm 8 uh, when they say this, what is mankind that you're mindful of them? Human beings that, that God cares for them. You've made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. And here's the dominion part. You've made them rulers over the works of your hands. You put everything under their feet, all flocks and herds, on the animals of the wild, the birds in the sky, the fish in the sea, and all that swim the paths of the seas. God created us in his image, and then he gave us dominion to rule alongside him. Like, he doesn't want puppets. He doesn't want robots. He didn't just, like, program us and set us off on our way. Uh, But rather, he wants relationships with people that he can love as we live in this world with him. And of course, as you can imagine, in granting this blessing, God took a tremendous risk. Because the question is, are we going to continue to move forward in God's good order, or are we going to define good on our own terms? Are we going to do our own thing? And the question gets answered really quickly, if you know how the story goes. By the time you get to Genesis chapter 3, this serpent shows up, and it deceives the humans to actually disrupt the good order of things. Uh, The text says that the serpent was the shrewdest of all of the wild animals that God had made. And one day he asked the woman, did God really say you must not eat the fruit of any of the trees in the garden? Of course, we may eat the fruit of the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we're not allowed to eat. God said you must not eat it or even touch it or you will die. You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. So the woman is convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious and she wanted the wisdom that it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it and then she gave it to her husband who was with her and he ate it too. Again, if you've been around church, you've probably heard some version of this story before. But the serpent confronts Eve, confronts the humans in the garden and the thing he goes after is this idea of the goodness of God. He he distorts this idea. He asks like, hey, is God's order really in your best interest? Does God really know what he's doing? And he asked her to evaluate for herself what's good. And so Eve exercises her own dominion, her own rule, her own ability to make her own choices. And, and Adam joins her and they make this choice that goes against God's good order. And it establishes this pattern that has repeated itself again and again and again and again through human history all the way up to you and all the way up to me when I make my Eric dominion-oriented decisions, right? When I make decisions that are self-oriented, that are about my definition of what's good, rather than following what God's defined as good. And so we all have a choice in front of us. We can continue God's good order, we can partner with God in the way we were intended to do, or we can choose our own selfishness. But if that's true, right? If like everybody you have ever met has dominion over how this world goes, then here's what that means for me and for you in light of this idea that everything happens for a reason it leads to the sobering truth that not everything that happens is God's will. That not everything that happens in this world is God's will. And that sounds like on the surface almost like sacrilegious or crazy, right? Because this idea that everything happens for a reason is a lie that we love and it's so ingrained in us. Uh, But this is the reason that Jesus taught us to pray to our heavenly father in this way. He gathered his disciples together and he taught them this prayer and a key part of this prayer was to pray the words, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Why would Jesus tell us to pray in that way if everything that happens is God's will? Like, it would just be this exercise in going through the motions, I guess, of like, God, I hope you get what you want, 
but you do all the time anyway. Like it's, it, it makes no sense because what Jesus is getting at is that not everything that happens in this earth is God's will. But as his followers, we should desire God's will to happen in our lives, that, that God's will isn't always done on earth. And if that's true, then what it means, again, maybe sobering, maybe harsh truth today, it, it means that not everything happens for a reason that not everything happens for a reason, that, that it's simply a lie that we love to say that everything happens for a reason because sometimes things happen because we've exercised that dominion and we've made choices that lead to brokenness in, in our own lives. Sometimes other people exercise their dominion and it leads to pain in our life as we're on the other side of them. They made choices that weren't in line with God's order and it hurts us. Uh, when you put a whole bunch of us together and we start making like societies and systems, suddenly you get this mess where like we've created structures and systems and complicated things that don't reflect God's good order. That these systems have been created long and long, long ago and they're just running their course in this world. And sometimes, again, like cold hard truth maybe today, sometimes there is no recognizable, explainable reason for why something happens at all. Sometimes there's not an answer. And that reality might feel harsh today, but it can also set us free. And as we wrap up, like, I want to give you kind of the practical piece of this. Like, I don't want to just like, disrupt everything and make you feel like it's all meaningless. Good luck. Uh, because rather, if not everything happens for a reason, what it means for us as it relates to our faith and our engagement with God is we actually have to embrace the mystery of who God is. That, that the goal of faith is not certainty. And sometimes, man, we've, we've created this mindset, haven't we? It's what's so attractive to us about the idea that everything happens for a reason. It's like clear black and white world where the good things happen to the good people and the bad things happen to the bad people and, and it all works out in the end. That's simply not the world that we're actually given. There, there is so much mystery to what God is like. And certainly he's revealed some things to us and we should lean in to all that we can know and discover. But there is a lot that we don't understand about how God is and the way that he operates, about what happens in our life and why it happens. Uh, really quickly, I don't have time to go through the whole story with you, but one of my favorite books of the Bible, it's actually uh, one of the oldest books in the Bible, it's the book of Job. Many people think the oldest book in the Bible is Genesis because it's at the beginning, but Job, which is like pretty much smack in the middle, is considered one of the oldest uh, stories that's recorded in Scripture. And if you don't know the story of Job, uh, I'll give you the Cliff Notes version really quick. Job is essentially this righteous man, this guy who's in good standing with God, who gets caught in some kind of like cosmic debate between God and the accuser. Uh, and God basically says like, yeah, the accuser can wreak havoc in Job's life. And we don't exactly know why God was cool with messing with Job in that way. Uh, but the accuser shows up and, and totally messes with Job's life. His livestock, his livelihood is taken from him. He's afflicted with disease. He loses his children. I mean, it's a really terrible story. And Job, in the midst of all this misery, has friends who come around him. And do you know what they functionally say to him? Everything happens for a reason, right? Like in their own way. They, they, they say, well, Job, you must have sinned. And so they try and like do this deep autopsy of Job's life and like find the spot where he sinned and they can't find it. Uh, or they like assume that he's not believing rightly or on and on and on it goes. And the key detail in the story is that God actually gets angry at Job's friends. God gets angry at Job's friends for giving this simple, inaccurate answer in the midst of a difficult situation. And eventually, Job gets angry too. And one of my favorite, it's like the climax of the story, Job finally loses it at God. And Job's like, God, why did you do this? Right? Here's my track record. I didn't deserve this. I can't explain this. Why is this happening? But maybe what's even better to me 
is God's answer back to Job because he kind of doesn't answer. I mean, God basically goes on an equally epic rant back at Job and says like, Job, where were you when I made mountains? Like, do you know how snow works? Did you pay attention in school, unlike Eric? Like, do you know how it all works? Did you make a lion roar? Like, he goes on and on on this epic rant that basically just says, like, look, I'm God and I'm bigger than you. And that's okay. Like, you can just find yourself in the midst of it. And you can find yourself receiving my love, even in the midst of the things that you don't understand. And what that means for you and what that means for me is that we don't have to explain it all away. Man, you'll go, you'll go crazy if you try and explain it all away. But rather, you can find yourself known and loved by God even in the midst of the unexplainable things. That you can actually embrace the mystery of who God is and why life happens the way that it does. And I know that's not ultimately all that satisfying when we want an answer for what's going on. Uh, But another question I think that shows up right alongside why is this happening is where is God? Right? Why is this happening or where is God? And, And man, that's a question that we can answer. You can actually find God with you in the midst of the things that you can't explain because on time and time and time again God answers the question of where he is in the midst of suffering by telling us he's with us he's with us he's in the midst of us and again if I could give you just like a quick snapshot of what I think of when I'm going through something difficult when I'm suffering when I have questions when I'm uncertain it's Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane at the very tail end of his life Jesus has given this assignment. He knows what's ahead of him. There's the cross, and, and honestly, the way he talks about it, it's like he doesn't understand it, or, or at least he wishes there was another way. And haven't we all been there before? He, he's on his knees in this garden, praying to God, God, if there's a different way, please make it happen. And, and he's so stressed out. Like he's feeling the weight of this so much. The text tells us that he literally sweats blood. Do you, know, do you want to know where Jesus is in the midst of your suffering? He's suffering alongside you. He's pleading with God for you, right? He's with you in the midst of it. That that even when the world is upside down, when you don't have answers, when things don't seem to make sense, you can be confident that God is always with you, that he draws near to the brokenhearted, that he's not running away from you, and that you are never alone in the midst of it. And to take that one step further, for those of us in the room who want to take following Jesus seriously, there's another little bit of a mandate in this for us. Because if we have people in our lives who are going through difficult things, I mean, I'll just shoot straight. We should quit telling them that everything happens for a reason. Okay, like I know it's easier, (laughs) but it's not ultimately helpful and it may be damaging and painful. Instead, what if we became God with them? Right, and I'm not saying like you're gonna be God today, like keep it in check. But what if like you actually understood your role as the body of Christ? And when somebody was going through something difficult, instead of trying to minimize their pain or explain it away or give them cheap answers, what if you just showed up alongside them? Right? What if like, we were the people who were willing to stare down ugliness and sadness, knowing that there's hope on the other side, not trying to explain it away, letting it be what it is, knowing that it's not ultimately the most powerful part of the story? Like, again, I'll shoot straight. Life is absurdly hard at times. And pretending that it isn't is exhausting. It's exhausting for all of us. So what if we became people who decided we weren't going to pretend it's not difficult, but instead we had the courage to step into difficulty with our eyes open, that we had the courage to sit with people, to do what Paul talks about in Romans and actually mourn with those who mourn, not give them answers, not give them a way out, just give them the gift of our presence. Friends, if we could do this, it might be one of the most incredible portraits of God with us 
that we could ever do, more than our explaining, more than our cheap answers. Right? People want the presence of God, and, and they may want to experience it through you, simply showing up, simply having the courage to step in to something difficult. Well, as we wrap up, I don't want to miss the hope part of the story, okay? Because like, I, I know I've kind of dismantled a lot of stuff that a lot of us love, uh, but we do have hope in the midst of these broken situations too. And that hope is specifically found in Jesus. Uh, Jesus entered into this broken world that I've been talking about where things don't always go the way that they should, but he entered into it to introduce a new world right in the midst of it, to actually bring back God's good order and to restore things. And, and through his death and resurrection, he did make a way for that to happen. Like, like we, can hold, we can hold on to that hope that he defeated the corruption and the evil powers behind it, and he set in motion this rescue plan that God is still working out today. And, and so we live in this time where redemption of everything has begun, and yet it's not yet finished. But there is a promise that we can hold on to. At the end of the story, in the weird book of Revelation that we all kind of skip over because it's confusing, uh, there's this beautiful promise right at the end uh, where it says one day Jesus will wipe every tear from our eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. Now, all of those things can be gone forever. And again, if you're in the midst of something right now, it's hard to believe that, but it's a promise that we're given that there will be a day where there's no more crying, where there's no more death, there's no more mourning, there's no more pain because the old world and all of its corruption and all of its brokenness will pass away. And we have this hope that we'll live in the midst of God's good world, ruled by God's good order that won't fade away. But my point is that that also can start right here and right now when we show up for one another in the way that Jesus showed up for us, when we meet people in their moment of need. Until that hope is fully realized, we have this promise, which ironically is one of the places we often get this idea that everything happens for a reason. But Paul wrote about it in uh, his letter to the church in Rome. He said, we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Now, it's really important to get this right. Paul didn't say, we know that God causes all things that happen in the lives of those who love him. No, he says, we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. So I've torn down a lot of lies today, right? Like not everything happens for a reason, but if you want some truth, it's that God can use everything that happens for a reason. Not everything happens to us for a reason. There are things that happen in our life that are certainly not God's will, and I want you to feel the freedom to acknowledge that today. But even in the most broken, even in the most difficult of circumstances, God can't use everything that happens for a reason. He can bend it all back to good. He can take the most twisted and painful things that we experience in life and bring good from them. He can bring beauty from ashes and light from darkness. And remember, we believe this at the core of what faith is all about, that the cross, what looked like the end of the story, actually became the new beginning for all of us, that God took the most broken thing and he turned it into something beautiful. And because of that, that doesn't necessarily mean life gets easier for us in this world. But whether God works things for good in this life or ultimately in the end, he will work them for good. And we can have hope in light of that. So let me pray for you. God, this is um, maybe even more than some of these other topics we've looked at. This is a lie that we love. I mean, we love the simple, understandable version of faith that says everything happens for a reason. We love the version of faith that seems black and white and clear uh, and that seems to work in our favor as long as we're like good enough. But God, I pray that we would tear that down today because it's ultimately damaging and it's ultimately less 
than what is real. It's less than what you want for us. And God, I especially want to pray for my friends who, who are carrying pain from something difficult. God, that you wouldn't have them dismiss their pain, but that they could bring their pain to you. That they could find you in the midst of it, <clears throat> knowing that they may never know all the answers, that there may just be some mystery to this life, but at the same time knowing that they can find you with them, that you draw near to the brokenhearted, that you walk with us through the most difficult moments of our lives. And God, for all of us in the room who are followers of Jesus, may we never settle for cheap answers to difficult questions, but rather help us embody your presence and your love by going above and beyond to face the darkness of this world together with the people that we love and for the people that we love, ultimately, that they might get a taste of what it looks like for you to be with them in the midst of whatever they're facing. So God, give us the courage to do what we've heard today and to face a difficult world with hope and with eyes open. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, once again, thanks for listening. If you live in or near the Peru, Indiana area, we would love for you to engage with us at one of our weekend gatherings. To find directions, service times, and information about our environments for kids, visit us at storyperu.com.